We come today to Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through the end of the chapter. This is an account that Luke includes in his gospel, which is, requires probably on our part just a little bit of background. Um, the setting is at a Pharisee's house. His name is Simon. We'll see that as we get into the text. Simon has invited Jesus to come to his home and is put on a feast. Simon apparently has a reasonably large home, uh, large enough to entertain many guests. Um, This would have been a situation probably a little different than we would do culturally. Uh, What would occur is you would invite all these people, they would come, there was a, a time to eat, but when you were conducting this feast in the room, uh, the room would probably be open in the sense that while there were actual invited guests, there were other people who would stand around the outside against the walls. At this particular situation, when they ate, this was a, this is a more Middle Eastern way of eating in the first century, they didn't sit at a table and have chairs. This would have been a low table. You would have come in, you would have laid down on one side, probably your left side, because you eat with your right hand, most people are right-handed. You would have pillows under you, and you would be on your left elbow, and everyone would put their head towards the table. So everyone's kind of laying at this table, and you're laying around the table with your feet out behind you. Um, Not to get too much into uh, thinking too hard about this, but let's just say that their hygiene and our hygiene probably not exactly the same. We tend to uh, have hot and cold running water and take showers with, or baths at least, with some regularity. This culture, not so much. So they would have had a different set of hygiene, and everyone would walk around out on the roads, and the roads, sheep, goats, oxen, cattle, you know, whatever, and it was a dirt road. You know, the Romans might have paving stones, but even at that, the roads are really dirty, and they're dusty, and you're walking with your feet down there in the dirty, dusty road, and um, by the time you came in to sit down to eat, there was a certain set of customary things which you would do, particularly if you had the wherewithal to do them which we'll see in a moment, Simon didn't do some of those. Did he invite Jesus as a, was this a hostile invitation? Is he trying to set Jesus up? It doesn't look like it. It, it, There's no real indication from the text. Um, Simon just seems to be curious. He's kind of curious about who Jesus is. Not that by this point in the Gospels, Jesus has made very clear his stance on Pharisaicalism. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount has already been preached. And if you paid any attention at all to the Sermon on the Mount, you realize that Jesus' view on works and salvation are not what the Pharisees thought. The Pharisees thought that the way to get right with God was to do right. They saw the Old Testament and all of those ceremonies and all of that to be the way to God. And that if you were ceremonially clean, then you were internally clean. And that God couldn't actually condemn you for what you thought. I mean, it, you could think about murdering your neighbor all you want, but as long as you don't actually do it, then you're, you're not guilty. 
Of course, Jesus makes clear in the Sermon on the Mount that that is not God's view. So the Pharisaical approach to how to approach God and Jesus' approach, he's made it very clear, but uh, there's no indication that Simon is bringing him in here just to make his life difficult. It would appear that Jesus is, in fact, the guest of honor. So when Jesus gets in there, all of the guests want to hear what Jesus has to say. There seems no doubt, since Simon is a Pharisee, that most of the guests are of the upper echelons of society. These are people who are somewhat wealthy. They're certainly middle class, what we would consider artisans and people who are self-employed. And the lower class would often stand around the walls, and they would listen to the conversation and hopefully if at all possible, someone might actually give them something to eat. They might take some pity on them. Uh, This is, you would stand there and and eat the scraps off the low table, right? I mean, isn't that what the woman says to Jesus? Even Even the dogs get to eat the scraps that fall off the table. So you would stand around and, all right, so that's kind of the setup. That's what's occurred here. Jesus has arrived. He has come in with the other guests. They are now at the table, um, you'll see in a moment that there's a woman who is standing behind Jesus, and that's how this is all going. Is it mid-afternoon, later? It, it doesn't say. So, one of the Pharisees, verse 36, was requesting of him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Whether this is a hostile invitation or not doesn't really matter. Jesus knows exactly how this is all going to go. The Pharisee, if he's atypical, and we would assume he is, he has not been baptized by John. John got up and preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and the Pharisees did not submit to the baptism of John. They didn't think they needed to. Um, Jesus is here, and if the Pharisee is thinking, and he might be, he might be thinking, well, I've got this prominent teacher. Hey, come to my house. I've invited Jesus, the prominent teacher, to come to my house. And, and he's going to, you know, we're going to have dinner. And you got to ask him questions. And, and if, if the Pharisee was somehow thinking that this is going to, I don't know what, elevate him? That maybe this was going to make him, you know, be held a little higher esteem in his social circles? Uh, yeah, 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 we'll see how that all goes. Jesus is well aware that he's walking into the lion's den. He knows how this is going to go. He, he knows that we're going to have a conversation, but by the time we're done, the Pharisee is probably going to be a little unhappy about how this all works out. Of course, the Pharisee thinks that he can sit in judgment on Jesus and that he can judge whether Jesus is a prophet or whether he's the right teacher. I kind of find out it's actually the Pharisee on trial, not Jesus. So, verse 37, now there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. By the way, what is her sin? The text doesn't say. What we do know is that whatever her sin is, it's well known. I mean, she's a known sinner. So the category of sins by which you might be a well-known sinner and still, as it were, walking around, I mean, we haven't got you in jail, we haven't taken you out and stoned you, um, that's a really small list of sins, right? She's probably a woman of the evening. That's probably who she is. It doesn't specifically say that, but she's a sinner. And everyone knows she's a sinner. She's got a reputation. And she has made her way into this particular event, um, 
chances are pretty good the Pharisee didn't really know he was there, she was there, or he would not have allowed her into this event. But there she is. She's coming to the event, and when she learned uh, that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. Now, perfume is, particularly perfume that would be sold in an alabaster vial, is uh, expensive. This is an expensive perfume. And so she has come in here. She has deliberately tried to make her way into this place to get near Jesus. She wants to get herself close to Jesus. And she has brought this vial with an expensive perfume so that she can get in there and and have an opportunity to be near Jesus. She, too, is walking into the lion's den. She is well aware that this is a Pharisee's house and that he is not going to look really favorably on her. She's a sinner, and she knows she's a sinner, and she knows everyone else knows she's a sinner. But this is what she does, verse 38. Standing behind Jesus, she begins to weep. And the word for weeping here is strong. I mean, this is, she's crying. She is crying to the point where the tears are just pouring out of her eyes. In fact, she begins to wet the feet of Jesus with her tears. And then she's wetting his feet with her tears, and then she starts wiping them with the hair of her head. She actually takes her hair, which in that culture would have probably been done up into a braid, or at least um, it would have broken a few social norms to actually have your hair start coming out and and be open like that. They shouldn't do that in that culture. And she begins to wipe his feet with the hair of her head and is kissing his feet and anointing all of them with this perfume. This is a woman who has come into the presence of Jesus and is trying to take care of Jesus. This is, she's doing this openly. As this meal is going on, this is, there's nothing hiding this. This is not being done quietly. This is not being done so that no one notices. Everyone in that room knows exactly what this woman is doing. This is, this is a clear thing that she is trying to do to get near Jesus so that she can show her gratitude for what Jesus has done. Now, we don't have... We don't have the history. It doesn't lay out exactly who this woman is or where she came from. But what we do know is that Jesus has been preaching forgiveness. We know that Jesus has forgiven any number of people of their sin. And this woman is a sinner. Except now here she is. And this is her relationship with Jesus. And she wishes to show her appreciation for what Jesus has done. Uh, This is is a, a... strong, the the Greek tenses here of these words, she is continuously crying and wiping his hair and anointing and kissing his feet. And I mean, this is not just a two-second thing. This this is an ongoing thing. Um, When the prodigal son comes home and his father runs to go greet him, which I see you don't... You don't run. I mean, that was very undignified. Oh, no. He runs. This is his son. And when he grabs him, he, he cries. He, the same kind of thing. The father is pouring his tears out. When Paul meets with the Ephesian elders, I remember they, they kneel down on the beach and he says, you guys aren't ever going to see me again. And they weep. Same word. 
This is, this is the word for this woman's weeping. This is a strong word. She is, this is humbling, right? This is, this is expressing total humility. She is literally crying, wiping his feet with her hair, and kissing the feet of Jesus openly. This is an act of worship. This, this is an act of exceptional. Uh, my relationship here with Jesus is such that I don't care what anybody thinks. I, I don't care what anybody thinks. I am going to act like this, and I am going to do this, and everyone is going to know, and everyone is going to see it. So the Pharisee who had invited him, he sees this. Everybody sees this. And he says to himself, I'll tell you right now, if this guy were a prophet, he would certainly know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, and she is a sinner. And this is just, this, this is an outrage. I mean, how in the world can Jesus, if this guy were a man of God, no man of God is going to let this woman touch even his feet. That's what he says to himself. Now, again, not to get too deep into the Greek grammar, but be aware that there's a way to ask questions in the Greek language. There's a way to ask them that implies the answer that you expect. Well, this guy says, if this man were a prophet, and by the way, I'm positive he's not. That's how this, this is framed. That's how this question is framed. Uh, no way Jesus is a prophet. Of course, that's a pretty interesting thing for Simon to say, and Jesus is going to deal with that here in just a moment. He's going to see that without a doubt, Jesus is a prophet. Simon rejects the woman. Jesus accepts the woman. Simon rejects sinners. I don't, what, who is this woman? What's she doing here? She, Jesus should tell her to go away. Jesus' view is exactly the opposite. He's not driving this woman away at all. We'll see. So Jesus answered him. Isn't it interesting? He never said anything. He says it to himself. He's simply speaking to himself. Jesus reads his mind. Jesus, Jesus knows people's minds. Jesus is God. So Jesus says to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Um, a polite way of addressing him. You know, Simon, first name. And he replies, say it, teacher. And the term teacher is a respectful term. Uh, one can imagine that at this point, Simon is kind of, what is he going to say? Uh, what topic is Jesus going to be talking about? Maybe the weather or something. I mean, he has no idea that Jesus has actually just read his thoughts. But Jesus has. Jesus is about to prove to Simon, who says, if this man were a prophet, he would. Well, he is a prophet, and he will. In fact, what he's about to do is he is about to read your mind and address the question that you don't even ask. You're going to ask this question, and uh, you ask this question, is Jesus a prophet, and what is he doing letting this woman touch him? Jesus is going to completely answer that question. And he's going to answer it in a way that even Simon can clearly understand. When we study the scriptures and we study the life of Jesus and we study the way that Jesus interacts with people, um, it's very clear that Jesus tries to make, and, and, and without a doubt succeeds, he makes life very simple. 
It's pretty black and white. It's not complicated. Jesus is going to ask Simon a question. We all know the question, right? You've got the two debtors, and one has a big debt, and one has a small debt. We'll get into the details in a second. But, and, of course, the, the guy they owe the money to forgives them both. Which one loves him more? That's the account here. Uh, Jesus reduces this to economic terms. Um, economic terms do have a tendency to kind of clarify things. Uh, it's interesting if uh, we have a society where, well, we can't decide whether what constitutes a marriage is it actually a man and a woman, or is it two men or two women? We, or, or, is it, or is it even just one? Maybe we should have three or four or five, or maybe anything. Marriage is whatever you want it to be. We can just make it up as we go along. We're not even sure men are men anymore, or women are women. We don't, we don't know. Um, we, we can't decide. We can't make up our minds about this kinds of truth. And Okay, so if you ask these people who can't make up their mind about all these things, how would it be if you went to work, and you got your paycheck, and your boss was supposed to actually pay you, say, $650, but instead they just paid you $65 and said, well, we put the zero at the front instead of the, uh, instead of the, the, the end. I mean, it's not it's just numbers, right? I mean, just little squiggles on the paper. It's, it's nothing that really matters, right? I mean, a zero here, a zero there, the six here, the five there. I mean, it, truth is whatever you want to make it, right? Just, just make it up as you go along. It doesn't really make any difference. Who cares? You get to the bank. They could put anything in your account. I mean, you're not really concerned about that, are you? Isn't it interesting, the minute we start talking about money, suddenly rich, poor, boy, oh boy, we can get really excited about that. And how much our paycheck is and what the bank did. And did the bank, did, did we go to the grocery store and they actually transposed two of those numbers and charged us too much? Now that's a truth we can get excited about. But whether you're a man or a woman, my God, we can't. This is, this is, by the way, Feel free to use those kinds of illustrations. You will be doing a very Jesus-like thing. That's exactly what Jesus does. He takes this situation where, okay, Simon, we have you, a self-righteous Pharisee. We have this woman who is a sinner. How am I going to help you understand God's view on these two relationships? You've got your view, Simon. God has his view. So I'll tell you what, Simon, let's talk about money. That's what Jesus does. Jesus says, let's talk about money. Because the minute we turn this event into economic terms, well, all of a sudden, Simon, who certainly understands money, I mean, let's face it, we're in a big house, right? We've got a big feast going on. Simon is a man well-to-do. He understands money. So when we start talking about money, Simon starts paying attention. The rich man and Lazarus, right? The, the, the parable of the talents. You give one talent, three talents, Five talents. You just, you just look at Jesus. Even the sower that goes out to sow the seed, the four different kinds of seed. We're still talking about money here. In an agricultural society, seed and crops and harvest, that's all has to do with finance. Jesus talks about finance all the time. Why? Because people actually understand it. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And Jesus wants to speak to Simon's heart. He wants this to become a heart issue, because Simon has a heart issue. So in order to reach Simon's heart, we're going to start talking about money, because that's where Simon's heart is. Certainly not where he thinks it is with the righteousness of God. So Simon rejects her. Jesus accepts her. Crucial. That's crucial to get. So as he gives this parable, 
We're going, Jesus is going to explain why he accepts her. Simon, listen. Listen up here. I am going to explain to you. So, a moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and another 50. A denarii, by the way, was a day's wage. A, the common worker who went out and worked would get a denarii for his day's wage. So, if you owe 50 days' wages, a month and a half, right? Two, two months, give or take, two months if you're working five or six days a week. That's about two months' wages. And if you owe 500 denarii, ten times as much, you're looking at like two years' wages, right? So this is, this is ten to one. It's basically, yeah, without getting into the amount of money here that they actually owe. One of them owes a, a reasonably large sum of money, um, and one of them owes a pretty big sum of money. To turn it into today, it might be that one of them owes the money for a car, and one of them owes the money for a house. I don't know, maybe you paid more for a car than you did for your house, depending on when you bought your house. If you bought your house 30 years ago, you may very well have paid more for a car today. But in general, the ratio between what you would spend on a house and what you would spend on a car, somewhere in there. So we've got one guy who has borrowed money from a lender to buy a car. And we've got another guy who's borrowed money from the lender to buy his house. And they get to the place where neither one of them could pay it back. We're, we're both stuck. One of them doesn't, I mean, they owe some, but not that much, say $10,000. And one of them owes like $100,000. Okay, And he just forgives them both. They were unable to repay, so he graciously forgave them both. Um, which, by the way, is really gracious. If you are a lender of money, if you want to be a money lender uh, and you want to hand out money to people and you actually want to stay in business, you really got to collect your money. And you have to be careful about just forgiving people their debts. You start forgiving people their debts, the next thing you know, no one wants to give you your money back. This cannot be a good business practice here to just start forgiving people their debts. Otherwise, everybody's going to want to borrow money and no one's going to want to pay back. So this is very unusual. This is, this is something that is, doesn't occur all the time every day. This, this is something to get people's attention. He actually forgave their debt? Wow, that's, that's kind of interesting. Okay, so he forgave their debt and he has done this great work. And so Jesus now has a question, Simon. So which of them will love him more? the person who forgave their debt. This is the heart of the parable. This is the point Jesus is trying to make. He's talking about money, but he's not really talking about money. He's actually talking about our heart. Which one is going to love the person who forgave their debt more? And there's really only one answer to this, and it's fairly obvious. Um, The fact is that when it comes time for our relationship with God... Which, which is what the parable is all about, right? The parable is clearly about our debt to God because we have broken his laws. We, too, are sinners, much like the woman. We're all sinners. Yet God is willing to offer us forgiveness, which shows a really interesting insight into the character of God. God doesn't motivate us with guilt. God is not over here threatening to whack us if we don't walk the straight and narrow. I mean, ultimately, that's what's going to happen. But the fact is that God is more than willing to provide 
forgiveness. God is continuously trying to motivate us to love him by forgiving us. The fact is, none of us get what we deserve. If we all got what we deserved, no one would live to walk out the door. We, we, we walk around down here on God's earth, breathing his air and drinking his water and walking on his ground like we owe the place. We, we don't. We're squatters. We are here because God graciously allows us to live on his earth and to breathe his air and to drink his water. This is all God's. And when we show absolutely no gratitude to God for it whatsoever and act like somehow we've earned it and deserve it, uh, that is offensive to God. And yet, even still, sun shines on the evil and on the good and the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. Why? Because God continuously seeks to motivate us through his love. God loves us. God continuously bestows great blessings on us. So Jesus says... To Simon, which one is going to love him more? And, of course, the answer, Simon answers and says, well, I suppose, really, you need to suppose this? Yeah, I suppose the one who forgave him more. Why do you have to suppose? Well, I'm a little nervous here. I've, you know, I've watched Jesus enough to know that when he starts asking questions, you have to be careful what you answer. Maybe that's it. Maybe he's just doesn't want to get put in a box or in a corner. or But the fact of the matter is you shouldn't hesitate at all. It's a black and white question. One of them knows a lot. One of them doesn't know as much. Both of them are forgiven. Who's going to be more grateful? Obviously the person who is forgiven more. This isn't complicated. And that's why Jesus is giving this. Jesus is not trying to make it complicated. Sin makes things complicated. This is why our world is so topsy-turvy and and people can't figure out all kinds of stuff. Why? Because they keep inserting lies. They keep inserting sin into the situation. And once we do that, then it's no longer clear anymore. But the fact is that it's not complicated. God is completely willing to forgive. Completely willing to forgive. God is in the business of giving us second chances. We truly can be born again. You can be born anew. So Jesus says to him, you have judged correctly. That's that's good. I mean, that is, in fact, the right answer. Uh, So at this point, which is good, Simon is actually willing to answer Jesus' questions. As his ministry goes on, we'll see the Pharisees become less and less willing. They've figured out that answering the questions of Jesus is a really bad strategy because he just, he asks these terrible questions, and when we answer them, we just look horrible. Yeah. So turning to the woman, which everyone knows is there, I mean, she's right there at his feet, he says to Simon, you see this woman, right? And, and, of course, he does. And Jesus says, you know, I entered your house, and you didn't give me any water to even wash my feet in. But she, oh, by the way, Simon, let's have a comparison between you and her, which is what's happening here. This is the point of the parable. You're, you want to condemn her, oh, by the way, and me. You don't think I'm a prophet and you think she's just a sinner, and you think you're the person who's got all the great insight into what's going on here, 
uh, let me help you out. You actually don't have all the insight you think you have, so let's look at you and let's look at her. You didn't give me any water from my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't even give me a kiss. She, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet, which needed to be washed, by the way, which she did with her tears. You didn't anoint my head with oil. She has anointed my feet with perfume. So now, as, we, as these facts get unfolded, we start looking at Simon's invitation to Jesus to come to this feast, and it becomes clear that though Simon invited Jesus, there were certain social norms that you didn't really do. Maybe your invitation to Jesus was for purposes other than what might openly appear, to just invite him to... Things happen that are a little insulting. You invited Jesus to your house, and he's... He's dusty. His feet are dirty. Everybody's feet are dirty. So if we're all going to sit down to eat, uh, you know, there's a reason, by the way, why they stuck their feet way down there anyway, away from everybody. But even in that, you want your feet clean. And so when you come into someone's house, even if it, it wasn't Simon's job to get down and wash the feet of every guest who comes in, but he could have had servants do it. He would appear to be wealthy enough for that. And if not that, at least provide the water so that Jesus could wash his own feet. That would have been at least customary. We're going to come in here. We're all going to be in here together. Um, washing people's dirty feet is, you should at least provide the water to do that. But, but you didn't. You provided no water to Jesus. You greet people, even your enemies. You at least, in our culture, it would be you shake their hand. I mean, if you're going to invite someone into your house for a meal, even if you don't like them, the polite thing to do is to at least shake one another's hand. And this culture would have been to a kiss on the cheek. You, you gave me no kiss. You didn't, you didn't really welcome me into your house. You didn't greet me. You, no kiss. And you didn't anoint my head with oil, which would have been, at the time, olive oil. And again, this would have been like you know, washing your face and hands before you sit down to the meal here. This would have been something that you would have done to kind of, you know, take the dust off and, you know, wipe your face. And, I mean, this, would have, this was how they would sit at the meal and eat. Um, we have a little higher standard than that in this day and age, but this was common. This is how they did it. Um, it wasn't that long ago, frankly, if you have any older grandparents, if you have anybody in their 80s, give or take, who can still ask them when they were kids how often they uh, took a bath, uh, how often anybody took a bath. Uh, it's just a, it was a different standard, but it was the standard. We're going to sit and we're going to eat. And so everyone should have the dust wiped off their hands and face, and this is just how you did it. You didn't do any of that. So now Jesus is forced to sit at the table without having washed his face or hands or having his head anointed with oil and his feet are dirty. And, and Simon, you, this, this is all, this is not really socially acceptable. And then you want to sit here and condemn me because I'm not a prophet. Oh, by the way, you acted badly. You did not look out for me. You invited me in here, but you didn't really treat me with any kind of courtesy, even common courtesy. You didn't offer it. But this woman, this woman 
has not ceased to wash my feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair and kiss my feet and anoint them with expensive perfume. Why is that? Well, because you're looking for forgiveness, but you don't think you have much of anything to be forgiven. She understands completely she has a lot to be forgiven. So, verse 47, for this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many. Oh, by the way, Simon, you wondered if I knew who this woman was? You wondered if I was actually a prophet? Yeah, yeah, I'm a prophet. I knew exactly who this woman was, and I knew that her sins were many. She has been forgiven. She loves much. He who is forgiven little, loves little. And by the way, Simon, that's you. You have very little love for me or God. You have very little love at all for your sin because you don't think you have much sin. So you want to sit and condemn this woman. I have accepted this woman. He who has forgiven little loves little. So he says to her, your sins have been forgiven. And of course, those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who does this guy think he is to even forgive sins? Which, of course, is a great question. Who does Jesus think he is to forgive sins? I mean, exactly who can forgive sins? God. That's who can forgive sins. And yet Jesus tells this woman her sins are He forgives her sins. Who does this guy think he is? God? Um, Yes, actually, he does. That's exactly who he thinks he is. And he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So now we have... The self-righteous Pharisee who thinks highly of himself and the sinner woman who clearly, clearly realizes that she is a sinner. She is a sinner and so she comes to Jesus with humility. This is how we must all come to God. The, The problem with Simon Simon is that person, and you, you know who this person is, right? You've met this person. This is the person who's never at fault for anything. It's never their fault. Nothing's ever their fault. It's always someone else's fault. And so when the situation comes that, uh, that, that something goes wrong or that there's some kind of problem, this is a person like no self-awareness. They walk around thinking that they're better than everyone else. This, of course... You know people who think they're better than everyone else. This has a tendency to make life difficult for them. As you would well know, right? If you know anyone who thinks they're better than everyone else, most people do not respond well to that. Most people have a little bit of difficulty with that. And so certain things that could go their way don't go their way. Things that could happen to their benefit don't happen to their benefit. And whose fault is that? Just ask them. They'll tell you. It's everyone else's fault but theirs. They just walk around with like, you know, your major problem is you. And you know what? They're the last person on the planet who wants to hear that. Their entire problem is they don't ever think they're the problem. We all know people like this. You know what the point of this parable is? It's you. That's the point of the parable. It's you. See, we look at it and we say, oh, I know, and we can start naming off people. We can start naming all those other people who have that problem. This parable challenges us 
to look in the mirror and say, is it me? Am I the person with no self-awareness? Am I the person who just thinks, well, I'm a good person. I, you know, God should be happy with me. It's, it's completely understandable that, you know, the, the, the blessings that God pours on my life. Of course he does. I mean, it's me after all. Okay, really? We need, like the woman who is a sinner, to awaken to the reality of just how sinful we are before God. If you want to truly love God, if you want to be a person who is on fire for God, who wants to serve God and do whatever God says, and be a person who wants to truly lead a godly life, you have to open your eyes to your own sin. See, if you have a works-based religion, if if your relationship with God is based on your works, well, you better not have much sin. You better minimize sin and maximize your good works. You better, you better really build up how good a person you are and really minimize how bad a person you, well, you know. So sin becomes this little thing and our righteousness becomes this big thing. That's Simon. That's the Pharisee. He's the guy that doesn't love Jesus hardly at all. He barely takes, he doesn't even give him the common courtesy you would give any guest who shows up. Why? No love. Doesn't need God, he doesn't need Jesus, he doesn't need the baptism of John, he doesn't need any of that stuff. When he gets to heaven, he's gonna bang on the gates and demand God let him in. After all, it's him. And the gates will be closed, and he won't get in. Because you only get in by the grace of God. You get in when you acknowledge you are a sinner in need of the grace of God. The point of the parable is look, God loves sinners. And it's all of us. We're all sinners. Once we dispense with this whole works-based thing, which doesn't work anyway, and actually embrace the reality that, you know, God knows exactly who I am. God knows exactly what I think. God knows what I think every minute of every day. God knows my heart. God knows who I truly am. He knows the problems that I have in my heart, the conversations I have with myself, the things I wrestle with, the evil thoughts, the evil desires, all of those things that reside within the heart of every single one of us. God knows them all. There are no secrets from God. Stop trying to keep secrets from God. Go to God and confess what a sinner you are. And God will forgive you. As long as we try to put up this front of, well, it's not me, I'm not the problem. As long as we walk around with this self-righteousness, we're never going to get close to God. And we're never going to have any kind of appreciation like we should have for the love God has for sinners. This woman's a sinner. She's, she's a sinner. Yeah. I'm, from the world's standards, if we look at the Pharisee, I'm sure he's a nice guy. I'm, I'm sure he's as we would define it, a good guy. He's law-abiding. He's throwing feasts. He's doing business. She is, who knows what she's out there doing. But the fact is, she repented. She owed up to the fact that she was a sinner. She comes to God, and she, has her, she is just overcome with a sense of gratitude and literally pours it out in her tears and kisses the feet of Jesus out of gratitude. Why? Because she's awoken to who she truly is. She has awoken to the reality of what she looks like to God. And God forgave her. And she can't believe it. 
She just, she just can't believe it. You're kidding me. God knows who I truly am, and he's willing to forgive me anyway? Wow, what a God. What can I do for him? I'll do anything for him, out of gratitude. That's how God motivates us. That's the point of the passage. The point of the passage is be the sinner woman. Stop being the Pharisee. Just admit what a sinner you are and acknowledge what a debt you owe to God. And when God completely forgives it, and oh, by the way, he absolutely will, we will love God the more. That's Jesus' point. Acknowledge, confess, admit, look in your heart and figure out who you really are and admit that to God. And then ask for God's grace and mercy and compassion to help you become a different person. And you know what? He will. He will. God's in the business of not looking at who we are, but who we can be. That's why Jesus loves the sinner woman. That's why he completely accepts her worship, because he's going to turn her into a saint. The Pharisee can't do much with him. Doesn't want much done for him. Doesn't think he needs much done for him. So, not much will be done for him. Come to God. Admit who you are. Who you really are. You're not not admitted to us. But you better admit it to God. It's not like he doesn't already know, right? Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that you are a God who sees the heart. You know who we truly are. And yet, if we will simply come to you and ask your forgiveness... And ask that that you will accept us into your family. And because of the blood of your son given on our behalf, you will forgive us just as you will forgive this woman who is a sinner. Lord, may you open our eyes to our own faults so that we will come to you with her spirit, broken and contrite and humble and filled with gratitude. Because even knowing who we truly are, You're still willing to forgive us. What a great God you are. May our hearts be drawn to you. May we be filled with gratitude. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.